Hello, and welcome to Nevermind the Pain Points, a podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your business challenges. Pulling on our network of clients, partners, experienced employees, and industry experts, we wanted to share with you our views and opinions on common business challenges. As a consulting firm that deals with these pain points on a daily basis, we thought we were well-placed to give insights on addressing these challenges. On this episode of Nevermind the Pain Points, we are joined by Greg Dennis from Owl Private Office to discuss the problems facing one of the most attractive sectors in the financial services industry, wealth management. Enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Daisy Butler-Galley from Clarissa's. And I'm Greg Dennis from Owl Private Office. Uh, today we're going to be having a chat about the introduction of a new generation into the wealth management industry and what the industry can do to keep on top of this and see it as an opportunity rather than a disruptor. Wealth management is one of the most attractive sectors for the FS industry and for banks as a whole, in part because you're getting such high margins and there's great growth prospects, um, but also because it means you can keep hold of your high net worth customers, which are making sometimes up to 80% of the profit for banks sure, as yeah, a whole. I think profit margins are definitely better than the wealth management department. I think you've seen that recently with... Um, well, I mean, Deutsche have just gone through a large change and are definitely back in their wealth management department um, and moving away from sort of the capital market side of things. And that has historically happened in other banks. In the recent history, um, uh, and as you say, it's it's sticky money. It's it's money that is, well, it's also on a, on a uh, ad valorem fee, so it happens every year. It's not transactional. It's uh, not dependent upon deal flow. It's... It's you get to charge your charge on the assets every year. So yeah, and I think the problem is is that there's change happening in the industry which the wealth management arms of these banks aren't keeping up with. So fundamentally, you're seeing a new generation with new expectations. So they're a generation that's been shaped by both the digital age and the last financial crash. So they have different expectations to the kind of baby boomers who have traditionally been seen as the as the main clients for wealth managers. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. And I think when you look at the market today, you've got a lot of, um, well, so-called disruptors, really, who are trying to really muscle in on this. And, and there's been, within the industry, there's been a lot of um, consolidation. I think uh, when you look at the industry from a regulatory perspective, after the financial crisis, obviously, the the level of regulations increased dramatically. And therefore, so has the cost for these wealth managers who have had to bring in a lot of compliance people and legal people and so you've seen potentially historically margins that have have shrunk in recent years and you've seen uh, you're seeing a change in demographic as you said a lot of younger people coming in um, and uh, I think it's a it's an interesting time there's a lot of shift that's going on so and it's definitely a time that these wealth managers need to not be as complacent as they seem to be so I think just the fact that the average age of a wealth management client is 71 there's going to be a generational shift where this money is shifting down to the next generation. And the problem is is that these wealth managers are struggling to keep hold of the next generation. So 63% of people will change wealth managers once they inherit. Um, and also you've got the issue that there's dissatisfaction amongst even the established clients. So a third of all clients have switched wealth managers in the last three years, and that's up to 43% amongst millennials. So something more needs to be done to keep hold of them, but also capture the new, new generation. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair to say. I, I think when you look at the industry, um, it's definitely changing. I think the demands of the younger people, I mean, there's a huge push towards sustainable investing these days. And that's not purely because I want to get that buzzword into a podcast. But, but I think it's true. It's occurring. I think that, you know, 20 years ago, 
negative screening of tobacco and armaments was absolutely fine and seen as a sort of sustainable way of investing for charities and sort of clients who are conscious of these things and now actually a lot of wealth managers are putting a lot of work in to to incorporate this into their investment uh investment sort of solutions or or strategies um because the client demand is there and and actually it's no longer seen as well if i you know if i'm investing ethically if you will i'm losing return actually you look at things like the vw scandal if you could have avoided that you know you're from a performance perspective that's that's a good thing right and this is i think where the generational gap is becoming so clear because so 43 percent of those under 40 have made an impact investment in the last year but compare that to only nine percent of those who are aged 50 to 59 and three percent of those over 60 that's a huge gap in generations and if if they're going to capture this new generation they really need to think about impact investing and how they can make their portfolios more sort of sustainable for the new generation and their new needs yeah i think so and i think in general i when you when you look at how the the wealth management world is changing client needs are changing data a lot of people are data driven and and want the information at their fingertips they want to understand what's going on it's not simply i have you know i i have my my person at my wealth manager and and i trust them and they're working on my behalf actually a lot of people are a lot more engaged as to why they're investing in things what they're investing in what it looks like can i go elsewhere and get yeah. something better i think it, i think you're you're moving from a from a provider led market into a into a consumer led market if you will if those are the correct terms to use no i think so and it's interesting to see that there's a new kind of challenge here of are the new generation willing to sacrifice some of their privacy and data in order to have that data driven decision making so will will they allow wealth managers to pick up all this data and then say here's the product that you're getting which is more specific to you and your needs um the data seems to suggest that they are um, and that they're much more willing to do it than the generation before them. Um, but it's about how can wealth managers take on that challenge and really produce a product that's data-driven and therefore capturing this new audience? Yeah, uh, no, that's an interesting point. I think wealth management, like every industry currently, is is going to become dominated by data. In fact, I was just in a meeting no more than 45 minutes beforehand where a chap who runs a very successful hedge fund said exactly this which is i'm in the data business and all i do is just use the insights from that data slightly better than most people hopefully and that's where i make my money from right and i think when you look at the industry as well obviously the investment management market so so the institutional money management if you will is 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 potentially ahead of the curve on this and and wealth management typically seems to follow suit thereafter albeit at a slightly slower pace and I think that actually what's going to happen is that they're going to be forced to by their consumers because there have been a number of disruptors that are relatively successful in the market that are that are pushing the change through. It's interesting that you say that because studies have found that actually wealth management is the most sort of resistant to technological change and they're the most behind of any of the sort of financial sector industries um so i think so i think especially in if you look at larger banks you know they've spent a lot of money 10 15 years ago on these systems that are now you know seen as sort of archaic and 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 so the the willingness to spend there whereas you know you can have a small eight ten fifteen three person startup that 
how can code and, and builds a system that's as strong if not stronger and and you know doesn't have a 150 people coding team behind costing a lot of money I think one of the stats that was quite shocking to me is that nearly 70% of high net worth individuals are using some sort of online or mobile banking, but only a quarter of wealth management um, firms are even offering something more than email as a digital channel. So they're really, they're not capturing what they need and what that group want when it comes to how they interact with their money and how they interact with their wealth managers anymore. Yeah, and I think there's there's a huge race in the industry currently to, to offer those those products and services. Part of me thinks you know is it is it valuable well I, I mean it's very valuable to offer those services to clients but should a client be looking at their long-term investment portfolio every day question you know um I, I guess there's there's a big thing around investing and the way in which you should invest versus the way in which the market and people's want for this information will push the way that investing works right my point being essentially and fundamentally that if you're a long-term investor is looking at your portfolio every five minutes on an updated system good for you i would question that are you making the right investment decisions long term but then I, I mean, how many that. how many people are thinking about it in that way? How many people are investing You'd like that anymore? You'd be shocked. As someone that's worked in the biz- in the industry, there are a lot of people who tell them tell you that they're a long term investor, and then you know you have a, a a downtick in the market, and they're calling you up and asking what the portfolio looks like. You know, I'm I thought we had a twenty year time horizon here, not a one day time horizon, right? That's a it's it's a consideration. I think it's that whole thing, right? That you've it's not only that you've got the industry pushing or or the the customer really the consumer pushing for more digital engagement but you've also got an industry that's fairly resistant to any sort of digital adoption and it's just leaving a massive space in the market for innovators to come in and engage with it so maybe what yeah i think so and i think we're seeing a lot of innovators come up in that space you know not necessarily wealth managers but businesses that are offering services to wealth managers in order to get them up the curve because if you're running a large business and and as i said earlier there's a huge amount of consolidation within the wealth management industry due to the the regulatory costs you know foremost in my view you're seeing a lot of businesses that are springing up that are offering these reporting services, that are offering these digital platforms, that are offering various ways uh, or, or various products to these wealth managers to try and help them retain, attract clients. Um, and and that is across the age range. But typically, you know, a lot of a lot of wealth managers are worrying about how do we engage future generations because it's important from a business perspective but it's also important from a from a family dynamic and wealth perspective i think you know it's, I, I don't know the statistic off the top of my head but i think that you know the rule of thumb is that one generation makes it the second generation preser- preserves it and then the third generation loses it Spends and actually it, yeah. <laughs> there's a huge shift towards bringing people in at a younger age to understand finance and understand the investments and how it works on a broad stroke basis because you know financial literacy in the UK especially and and arguably worldwide is woefully poor I think I read an article the other day and I again numbers potentially shakily but uh, here I'll pose it to you what do you reckon the um, so the the typical member of society in the UK if they were to take a test um, what would their score be relative to in terms of school age? How old do you think people are from a numerical literacy perspective, if that's a, a phrase? Mm, maybe 15. So th- I think the answer is around 10. 
Wow. So when you think back to your school years, I think that if the general member of the populace has a mathematical capability of a 10-year-old, year old, it's slightly worrying, It's slightly it? worrying that they're being offered the ability to take mortgages out, worry about their investments, take out credit cards with £10,000 worth of uh, credit line, all of these things. And I think that that's one of the pieces actually that plays into this that not a lot of people are talking about is you can offer all of the services in the world, but actually literacy and the ability for people to understand them is hugely important. And I think that that's lacking, but that will only come through, well, in my view, you it's know, an education piece. Education, it? yeah. It's an education piece. It's a poli- political piece. Yeah. But I mean, there's also an interesting angle to look at it in that are the wealth management firms prepared for this? Because actually, a Cube, lot yeah. of these firms are, a lot of their managers are, are hitting retirement age and they're not replacing them as quickly as they're losing them. And so it's, it's how do these firms get sort of new fresh blood in it's got to be a recruitment drive an educational piece a real investment in training but also an investment in kind of the change management element of it in that you need your your entire organization to be ready to adopt new methods and, and yeah new and approaches. I, th- I think that also there's a there's as you alluded to earlier in the podcast there's a there's a sort of change in psyche right after the financial crisis where going into finance is not you know the be all and end all and uh, you know the best job to get out of university people are going into consulting people are going into uh, you know tech companies marketing all of these different areas that are that are hugely interesting and actually you know gone are the days of coming out of university getting a finance job and being set for life and so it's it's become a less appealing less attractive uh, industry and so i you know i've heard albeit anecdotally that it's as a as a manager trying to hire it's incredibly hard to find talent within wealth management or 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 top tier talent that that is really what's required yeah um and i think it's just that whole thing of you know the fintechs and people like that are catching the innovators and and how does the wealth management industry catch up there's there was some stats about um, a survey done where something like 19 percent of people think that it's elitist and others think it's old-fashioned and, and how do you get yeah, i think there image? is a perception that it's a you know it's a it's a dusty old industry with a lot of um a lot of old people in it that aren't really doing anything exciting yeah i mean i'm not too old i'm losing my <laughs> hair but i'm not too old and are you doing exciting things? I like to think so. <laughs> I like to think so. We're doing some interesting stuff. Uh, but I think that it's a, it's a, it's an industry that's you know, objectively when you look at it, it's ripe for disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess then that leads us on to our next point of what can these organisations do to to deal with this problem, and what can they do to capture that new? So I guess I guess one way to look at this one way to look at this question is what are they currently doing? So and hopefully I can give you a little yeah, bit of insight, insight on that. Comes yeah, into I mean. Play. I would hope so, but I, I make no promises. So I think a lot of a lot of a lot of the industry, as I said, are, uh, are focusing on the uh, on the sustainable investing piece. I don't think that there is a, a firm out there that uh, isn't offering it. Um, I think that the offering uh, is certainly variable. There's a lot of so-called greenwashing. Um, where you, you you badge something as sustainable, but actually the underlying really isn't meeting the requirements. Um, but there's a lot of really good products out there. And actually, funnily enough, a lot of the large, large wealth managers, so we're talking the sort of Swiss-based banks, if you imagine, who dominate in terms of the assets under management and therefore the revenues, you know, were... were keen enough to, to see this occurring and have built some really, really interesting 
propositions around it that that really do add value i think as you said the 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 transparency piece has become huge especially after the financial crisis and i think also the aligning of interest between client and advisor right i think the gone are the days of selling products and commissions and you know the large bonus culture all of those things are are certainly gone and and you know to to some extent that does make the industry less attractive to some people that may want to come into it but it's certainly certainly changed and i think that what needs to happen and what is happening but what needs to happen more is that alignment of client interest with provider interest and that that is the way in which they're going to capture these young members of society who are coming in and going to be the future wealth owners i think there's some interesting stuff around this that you know no longer are you just taking advice from a single person it used to be that you know baby boomers they would see their bank as the person that they relied on most for advice when it came to finance and investments and it's now actually switching to be much more family-led uh, so i think it's sort of 35 percent of people would prioritize their family over their bank um, in terms of the advice that they're getting which is a completely different beast but people are doing their own research now in a way that they weren't doing previously which is changing the way that you're going to have to interact with your client and your wealth manager that relationship is going to change yeah. just because you're you're almost more clued up yeah i think i think it, it, exactly as you say i think that you know it's going back to the financial literacy point somewhat but i think the you know what i would call the information asymmetry which is a very boring and sounds technical term and that, i mean that's one of the problems with the industry right is the jargon technical term for something which means you know when you're going into this trade if you will and we boil it down to a very simple thing i come to you and i need you to want manage my money because i don't want to manage to my money myself, and re- yeah. yeah and in return you manage my money you know though historically you know and this is again a broad stroke thought but historically the the wealth manager had a lot more knowledge and understanding and context than the the client did and actually that's being eroded and you know i can go and look up what my structured product is doing now i can understand how it's priced i understand you know where they're making their money on that i understand how their stock selection process works how their portfolio construction process works because i just have access to information that allows me to understand that i don't need to be a professional i just need to have enough understanding it's like taking your mate who's a mechanic when you go and buy a second-hand yeah. <laughs> car right and i think that you know that's what we do at owl but for ultra high net worth individuals is we act as a trusted advisor and i think that that's definitely what you're going to see more of is people looking for objective unbiased advice within the industry and i think that's where data comes in really because it's it's that opportunity to to provide them with real-time data but also a better understanding of themselves as it were to say okay so how does this work along your portfolio and how you like to invest is it and then you oh, can yeah. kind and of there's be- a huge and there's a big field in in behavioral economics if you will um if if you haven't read it i strongly recommend you read thinking fast and slow it's a fantastic book it's not a light book it's certainly not you know well maybe it's bedtime reading i read it on holiday because i'm terribly boring um, but it's a fantastic book, and and I think that people are becoming more aware that humans are fallible, and we make bad decisions fundamentally. And I think that the there's a lot of or a shift, if you will, in the trust of potentially computer-based um, investing or algorithmic sort of investing, where the, the distrust that has historically 
potentially been there in the in the older generations you know i grew up with a computer you grew up with a computer you know we're probably at the stage where learning to code was maybe you know slightly not mainstream but you know a lot of my friends know how to code i think you know when i look at people that are in school now i mean that it's mandatory that you learn to code in some schools because it is it's it's going to be as important as being able to do maths i think the whole play is converging towards people understanding things better and data driving decision making which is why these wealth management firms really need to think about their digital strategy going forward like now is the time before it's almost too late to do it um and with that they kind of need to integrate most or preferably all of their activities into a single yeah and if you're if you're you know from a from just a purely business perspective if you're a big incumbent and you have you know worked out at least that you're pretty slow to move and that there's a small you know but nimble startup that's doing something interesting that you think i think what you're going to see is a lot of these big firms and, and a lot of these big firms already are you know building sort of a yeah, partnerships partnerships were, yeah. yeah partner they, they either partner with them or they buy them or or they offer i mean you look at the you know the the uh, the big four cons- consultancy firms they all have incubators or venture arms now because they realize that that is going to be the way that it works and that's going to be the future yeah and i just think wealth management's a little behind on that but there's so much room for growth and great opportunity and great innovation um and it's quite interesting this sort of an idea that maybe they should be doing it in a kind of three-stage process so the first is just around kind of digital commerce so like how do, how do we provide them with what they want so if it's just having your financial advisor available on video link or on chat so that it's about making it easier for them and you can kind of it's the whole idea of anywhere anytime yeah wealth management and you're seeing a lot of uh, yeah again i saw i saw a tech business recently uh that uh was doing just this it was it was i think what what they were trying to do is really simplify help people understand what they have number one right there's a lot the first difficulty is what do i actually have where do i where is it what do i own then the second piece is interpreting that which is okay well what does this mean and i think that that's true there's a lot of help in the digital space in terms of what does this mean where is it all um and and how do i contact someone if i have a question yeah. about this yeah so i think that's the, the kind of second stage of it is this this digital consumption so it's using data to increase engagement by giving them back their own data as it were so you know whether that be real-time updates on their risk portfolio or whatever, whatever yeah yeah it i be. think so i think so and i i think there's it's, it's sort of uh there are two sides to it right there's what are my portfolios doing and what's what am i doing on that side but uh, especially in the younger generations it's spending and saving right and there's a huge piece on the spending piece that actually a lot of these guys are trying to go for so you see the revolutes and you see the monzos and whatever i mean just characterizing the fact that i spend all of my money in the pub is like super helpful right you know that you spend all of your money on pizzas and beer greg and that actually that's probably not a good thing and that actually by making a couple of changes in your life you could save a lot more money yeah it's that thing like monzo gives you a monthly breakdown of where you spent and got yeah pret and, and doing you know, well out of me yeah yeah, yeah pret- <laughs> pret- doing fantastically out of you and that, that's exactly it and and you think you know five years ago if you asked me well what do i spend my money on i could give you a rough idea of well i think i you know but it's so small sense you know 
small spends that build up that you don't have that visibility over you know i spent x amount on my holiday because it was a big amount but who's tracking everyday spending so builds up exactly Uh, full disclosure i I know daisy because she interned with us but one of my so i you probably know this fact because it's one of my favorite facts i have about four facts that i wheel out every time but let's say that you go to pret and you buy a coffee every morning right and it's going to cost you let's say three pound fifty which is probably about a pret three pounds three pounds yeah about three pounds probably okay three pounds if you were to put that money into the markets and we'll wait until you retire, so let's say 35, 40 years, what do you think that three pounds would be worth upon your retirement? No idea. Probably that's the number one answer, right? The number two answer is, oh, maybe is, uh, 10 pounds or whatever. So roughly, if you do the rule of thumb, and I got this from my old boss, he was US, so it was all in dollars, but a $5 coffee right now is about $50 in your retirement. So a three pound coffee now is about 35 to 40 pounds in your retirement. If people are buying a coffee every day, right? And what's, what's the average wage in London? I don't know, 24, 25? 25 grand, yeah. Right? So you're buying a three pound coffee every day. Okay, so you're gonna test my mental maths here. So you're spending 15 pounds on coffee every week, right? Think of the thousands of pounds that that is in your retirement. But I think that's where people, the younger generation, aren't necessarily thinking like that and no and this is why the tools well managers can do that and to start people thinking like that is the real you know the key to yeah, yeah. to the innovation absolutely. that could really lead absolutely. to them starting I, to invest i'm more. certainly i am certainly not advocating never buying coffee never doing anything fun sitting in your room and saving all of your money that you earn because life fundamentally is about living but what i think the problem is, is that people don't have an understanding, right? And this is what the Monzos and the Revoluts and all of these other guys are doing is bringing in this, okay, actually, look, Daisy, you have spent 400 pounds in the pub this month. You know, what What on earth are you doing? Well, I know what you're doing, drinking. But, <laughs> you know, really trying to nudge people to make better financial decisions, I think is really important. Because it is, as you said, it's the, it's the, it's the small transactions it's not the fact that you're going out and you're taking four holidays a year or that you're making big spends it's the small things that add up but but people aren't as a generation we're not saving you know we we don't save and that's a huge problem i think there's we're experience led yeah but i think there's there's a great advert that i got sent by my brother the the other day which was uh, atom bank are currently running one and it's a it's a, a cartoon of a bank manager who turns around and says, so I hear you lot are into experiences. And then the two young millennials on the other side of the table say, yeah, well, we'd like to experience buying a house at some point. And I thought that was really good and really <laughs> on point. As, in terms of marketing, I think Atom Bank have absolutely hit their nail on the head, which is that perhaps this generation is experience-led, but we still want to own a house. <laughs> you know, we still, we, we still would like to be able to afford property within yeah. Zone 6 of London. Yeah. You know, it, you know there we are... We can all dream, Greg. Yeah, we can all dream. We can all dream. I'll just keep getting up at 6 in the morning and get on an hour train into London. But, you know, I think that you'll certainly get help on the spending side and then on the, that will then help the saving side, which if the wealth managers are correctly placed to help on the saving side, they might then see the spend... spend, the, spend. The, 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 they'll see the... Yeah, exactly. So I think it's sort of the way to approach this is that wealth managers need to start laying the foundations of this straight away. And that's internal. It's getting some enthusiasm for digital adoption, whether that be through hiring or through training or change management activities internally. Because if you can just digitalize your admin 
feedback from staff are starting to use it, then the notion of being digital is no longer as scary and as foreign to the wealth management industry. I think so, and I think that you're going to see a lot of a lot of a lot of new technologies. I mean, again, six twelve months ago, blockchain was the absolute buzzword, right? But there are a lot of ways in which you know, being able to settle trades via blockchain or do all of these things is going to really help streamline the back end of the back end of the wealth management business. I think there's always going to be a place for the relationship side within wealth management. You know, I don't think that we're ever going to get to the stage where computers are running all of the money in the world. And and people don't want that. Well, perhaps not, right? You know, I I think that someone's always going to want to be able to talk to someone, I think. But if you can have the system behind it to make sure that that's as efficient as possible, as possible then yeah and i think it's also about if you can do that if you've got the back end sort of sorted you can then start to move on to meeting client expectations so as we talked about you know app access or um, digital portfolios that they can more easily access and it's then you kind of automate it by optimizing the data that you've collected in that second stage and you can start thinking about algorithm driven solutions but that's allowing you to facilitate more dynamic advice so it's all about bringing it back to the person so that actually as you say you know your wealth manager is better placed to give you that advice rather than replacing it with yeah a robot, absolutely you know? absolutely yeah until until ai is absolutely cracked yeah. right Th- then you're always going to need some sort of human thinking around okay well what does this mean for daisy and i think that there's going to be a lot of a lot of work especially on the um profiling side so typically when you go into a wealth manager they're going to profile you to work out whether you're a high-risk investor whether you can afford to be a high-risk investor a low-risk investor i think there's going to be a lot more um thinking and technical research-led profiling that goes on in 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 the wealth management industry and that sort of know your customer offering that i think is so essential to to all all organizations but particularly wealth management will then help with them growing or selecting their product range a bit better so it's a kind of counter to this issue of loyalty that we're seeing at the moment whereby some of the young millennial investors have got four or five different wealth managers and they're flitting between and you know only 39 percent of people are wanting to recommend their current wealth manager that's That's a scary statistic and it goes down to 23 percent amongst the ultra high net worth so clearly there's something that isn't clicking um and i think data is the kind of key to making this all merge together rather than a big scary thing that the wealth management industry should be running away from they should be embracing it um so that they can really capture that next generation yeah no i agree i agree thank you for joining us for another episode of never mind the pain points if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or site we would love your feedback, so please leave a review or drop us an email at podcast at And for more information about us, visit our website, clarisys.com. <laughs>